0: This episode is brought to you by Vonage. Your business needs more than an 800 number. With Vonage Voice API, you can provide the call experience your customers expect and get the data your team needs. From call analytics and virtual assistants to automatic speech recognition and text-to-speech in multiple languages, your customer service team can help more people in more places. And with in-app voice, your customers can easily contact you the moment they have a question. Take your calls to the next level with Vonage Voice API. Learn more at Vonage.com.
1: Hey guys, so I don't want to take too much time, but I wanted to pop in before the episode starts and really emphasize that this has been one of the most interesting projects I have worked on for skincare anarchy thus far. And I would love to keep this going and make it a series. So if you're somebody in the clean beauty space and you want to talk about this stuff, you want to expose... Um, questions that are never really addressed, then please reach out to me. Um, You know, if you're, especially if you're an entrepreneur or an editor or a PR agency that's looking to, you know, really highlight some of the great practices that uh, their brands are doing, um, to add to this overall protocol that we can create as an industry for regulating clean beauty and really, you know, providing a blueprint of safe practices, um, you know, a way to really approach it. If you're new to the space, that would be amazing. I would love to make this happen. I think this should be a multidisciplinary, um, you know, cross-industry, collaboration. So I'm very much open to that. Please reach out to me directly. Um, You can email me ekta at com. I know my name can be hard to spell sometimes. So it's E-K-T-A at com. So reach out to me and let me know. And also tune in for this episode. I think you're really going to love it. And let us know what you think in the comments. Leave lots of feedback. Thanks guys. And thanks for tuning in. i And welcome to Skincare Anarchy in collaboration with three amazing brands for this panel that we're conducting today, which is called The Dirty Truth About Clean Brands. And I think this is going to be one of the most awesome conversations that has been you know long time in the making it really needs to have happened a long time ago so I'm super excited to be here today I have with me um three amazing women who represent um three amazing brands so first I want to introduce Janelle Haley who is with um Olika and Terasana um Kimberly Carroll who's also with uh Terasana and then Taylor Statton, who is with uh Pipette which is a uh baby Caroline so welcome ladies I'm super excited about this panel and um you know moderating and I I would love to just you know get started if we can give a little bit of background um on each of the brands you know that'd be a great place to start thank Uh, you for having us thank you we're so excited to be here (laughs) yeah it's my honor I love that we're doing this and I want to get started with Janelle so Janelle maybe you could give us a little bit of background on yourself and um your role with Olika and stuff?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I am the marketing lead at Olika. I handle marketing and innovation, and I'm super excited to be here to talk to you about this incredible brand. Olika is a clean wellness brand, and we're really reimagining personal hygiene and everyday essentials by focusing on design, Um, so we really take a lot of effort to make sure that our products are not only functional, but they have beautiful forms, and they're ergonomic, they're inspired by nature, and they also have incredible experiences that are clean, um, from our essential oil fragrances to our beautiful hydrating flower um, uh, formulas, we just really want to make sure that we're offering moments of delight and joy to everyday essentials.
1: I love that. I really love that. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's and also um everyone listening, Olika makes the best hand sanitizer. Like the packaging is phenomenal. It's my favorite. I can't live without them. So <laughs> um, yeah. thank you for uh for that. Um next I'm going to ask uh uh Kim, Kimberly, if you could give us a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. So uh, I'm
0: in charge of e-commerce. Um and for Terrasana, it's been a really interesting adventure. So Terrasana is a, it is a clean clinical wellness brand. And we've launched one product. There are more fun things to come. But it's really about being clean, not only in terms of the ingredients that are in the bottle, but the whole process all the way back to um, like the source ingredients. So being clean from, how it's created water use, land use, um, you know, all the way through um, what ends up in the bottle. And the formulas are fermentation-based, which is also an incredibly cool science. It's this beautiful blend of um, smart science and clean ingredients. And in the clinical wellness space, there just aren't a lot of players yet. So we're having um, we have a lot of fun things in store.
1: That's so exciting. And you know, I'm all about the science. So I love that. I I know. Really love that. <laughs> and also guys, the one product that she mentioned is phenomenal. So it's not just that it's one product. It's a very, very beautiful uh, serum. So I, I really, really, you know, I've been enjoying it a lot. So thank you, Kimberly, for thank that you. beautiful uh, introduction. And um, last but not least, Taylor Staten, I would love for you to tell us about Pipette and your role in the company.
3: Absolutely. So I head up brand marketing over at Pipette. When we say present hip is the name for it. And we launched in um, right around Labor Day in 2019, really focusing in the baby care and mom care space and saw great success using our clean formulas with a minimalistic approach um, and really expanding into the family categories this year. So taking everything from building formulas that baby skin will go ahead and recognize and really carrying that all the way through for the entire family.
1: I love that. And I think that's so, such an awesome point that like if it works for babies and if it works on newborn skin, then you know, it's products that you can really trust. So I love that. That's, that's really great. Um, I want to actually get started with this panel and um, ask, all of us to kind of start off by talking about the idea of clean beauty and what it really means to all of us in terms of not only the brands but even on a personal level right so I would love to like just kind of you know whoever wants to go first like just kind of what do you think about it you know when you hear clean beauty like what comes to your mind and what are things that you are thinking about from a business standpoint and from like the brand standpoint um you know maybe Taylor, you can, you can get us started.
3: Absolutely. Um, With clean beauty, I really think it's something where it's looking at holistically. You're not just looking at, oh, is this made with clean formulas, but what, what are they doing sustainability? What are they doing for pop impact and taking it beyond that? Are they going ahead and doing clinical testing? So it's not just a one-off as far as You know, focusing on we only use one clean ingredient, but really looking at it holistically, even all the way down to the supply chain level, as far as are these ingredients being sourced sustainably? Is there like positive impacts? Because I think that for us, and I don't want to speak out of context, but I think for Kimberly and Janelle, both with their brands, that's something that we share in common as far as looking at it big picture and not just siloing the ingredients as a one-off.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I I completely resonate with that. And I, you know, I want to follow up, Janelle, what do you, what comes to your mind with, like, just the phrase clean beauty? Absolutely.
2: Um, And it's a tricky phrase, right? There's different definitions and meanings. And so um, I think there's really three things that come to mind. Safety, transparency, and effectiveness. Um, So safety is really about creating products that are good for skin, good for people, but also good for the planet. as you're purchasing these products, you're actually not making a trade-off between something you need for you and something that's good for the planet. I think that's really important. It's not just about the impact we use, but it's really about empowering people to have products that are really good for you. Um, I think it's super, super important to be transparent about everything you're doing, particularly because there is no definition for what clean really means. It's about doing um, putting your ingredients list online, um, even the fragrance ingredients list online, really showing as much as you can what's happening um, throughout your production life cycle that Taylor was talking about. And the last one is effective, which really just means it works. We want to do all these things and create products that work and not compromise on that. So I think there's a false narrative and a false trade-off that you can have clean and sustainable products, but they don't really work. Um, and I think all of our brands are all about the science and making sure that
1: we, we have really amazing products. Yeah. And you know what that makes me think of is almost like the, the, if I were to sum up one in one word, what you, everything you said, I would say optimization mm-hmm. because that's really what it is. Right. Like, I mean, it's, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, and before I don't want to start ranting yet, but like, I want to ask uh, obviously Kimberly, <laughs> I want you to really chime in here and tell us your perspective of just, you know, the word and the phrase and what it means to you. Absolutely. So I'm going to say yes. And to the,
0: to um, what has already been said, I 100% agree with that. But, but and in this case, I think it's becoming an advocate even when the customer doesn't know they need an advocate. Um, that as you as you get immersed in the space, you learn so much. Um, and you know, like just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good for you, right? Poison ivy, for example, <laughs> it's natural. <laughs> I wouldn't want to rub it all over my body. So but there's so that all comes down to education and making education accessible and um putting it in context because context is everything. Um and like sharing the journey with the consumer, right? That um being clean and being good for the environment, um, and and good for the planet as a whole. It's a it's a journey. It's progress, not perfection. And so sort of being honest about that and just really being an advocate for understanding um, and bringing people along with you.
1: I love that. And I love that you brought up like, you know, like the idea of good for you, because I think that really, that's such a, so much at the heart of like, what I've noticed as a consumer around clean beauty, right? Is like, it's good for you. It's good. It's a good thing. And I often wonder in what context right because we can be good to ourselves and like you said good to the planet good to the environment good to you know um, the communities that we interact with but that definition you know like I I just want to like start this panel off by my opinion which is that I think clean beauty is less of like a like specific category and more of an umbrella term And I think that's where like the, you know, um, the conversation really kind of gets interesting because you have all these other words that come in. I think, you know, Janelle, you mentioned Mm -hmm. sustainability and I would love to like kind of talk about that aspect of clean beauty as a sustainable, um, you know, component where we are now looking for brands that are claiming to be clean brands, but they are also, you know, really focused on sustainability. So I'd love for um, you guys to, you know, just, Whoever wants to chime in on that and and talk about the sustainable aspect and how it really fits into creating a clean brand, Janelle, you can pro- <laughs> if you can get us started, that'd be great. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I will start off with Alika. So, we, we thought a lot about this, um, and it's actually really fundamental to our, our business model. And it's actually why we launched our hand sanitizers to be refillable. Um, you know, gone are the days of single use plastic. And so, we created a product that could be a forever product um, and, and a refill system to offer value to the consumer. And, and that's what we're really striving for. I think Kimberly hit the nail on the head. It's a journey. We're going to continue to find ways to innovate and bring the sustainability in um, but incorporating it to our business model is fundamental and of course our ingredients um, you know we want to produce them in a sustainable way um, you know we're looking at our impact on the workers and, and people that we work with etc um, but for us it's really really about deeply embedding it in our business model to ensure you know we're doing everything we can for the planet.
1: That's really, I, I think you brought up a really good point is about the workers. And I want to uh, come back to that point, actually. But I want to ask, um, um, you know, I guess, Taylor next, uh, if you can comment a little bit on, on the idea of sustainability in, in the clean beauty world.
3: Absolutely. I think it's definitely very key and they need to go hand in hand, um, having that positive impact to it. Because if you're going ahead and a formula might be clean, but the, to get there, the supply chain to produce that is not then it's almost falling on deaf ears what's what's actually happening behind the scenes and being transparent as janelle touched on earlier so for us really when you start looking at the ingredients how are they being sourced how are they being produced because There are a number of natural ingredients out there that are very scarce. There's a finite amount of them. And with that being said, they might not only be finite, but the amount of resources it takes to go ahead and produce that specific plant. And with that plant, too, what people don't realize is we're not using the entire plant. We might only be using the root is what happens within the natural space And so then there's a lot of waste that's coming from that, and it's not very sustainable at all from the resource element or even the outward process that's coming from that. So for us, it's really going ahead and using our biotechnology that we have to go ahead and produce, you know, a ingredient that is not going to go ahead and be using an abundance of resources that are potentially scarce and also taking that a step further when looking at packaging and something for Pepet has always been, you know, PCR, trying to go ahead and use post-consumer recyclable material within our product. So we're not just leaving it up to the consumer to be responsible as far as recycling, but taking that matter too, and going ahead and putting it back mm-hmm. into the product. So we're really giving plastic a second or third life. So it's not just going ahead and ending up in the ocean and a landfill. We're really trying to look at things holistically.
1: I love that. Yeah, I love that and yeah. I think that's a very uh very interesting point because you know the other day I was talking to the founder of this new e-commerce website that's kind of like a Sephora online, right? Mm-hmm. And it's they're doing a really good job and I brought up the idea of like, you know, well, are you eventually going to get to the point because I know a lot of brands are leaning towards this idea of refillable um products, right? Like instead of buying the whole product mm-hmm. again, you can have refills and um et cetera et cetera and I was discussing this with her and she was like yeah, but it's, it's a slippery slope, you know, because it you you have to really think about is the consumer going to want to invest in that. So I, I think that as a, as businesses like move towards this, exactly what you said, Taylor, like I think it's really something I'm interested in as a consumer to see how people are going to react to this whole idea of, you know, let's keep on, you know, using what we're using to begin with instead of creating more waste, you know? Exactly. You
0: you bring up a really interesting point about the consumer right. Is like, would they be willing to pay for it? And what we're seeing in the data is that there's really two things that are happening. One is that they're living their values through their wallet, right? So they're going to yeah. put their dollars where it matters to them in their personal value system. Um, and then there's self-expression, right? Self-identity. I identify as someone who cares about the world by choosing this brand or this product over others it goes back to like it's um, in the brand prism it's the lens of self-reflection and those two things are happening in our market at the same time and so being a company that does good and to be good um really is meeting those it's the right time in the right place for what's happening in the consumer movement
1: yeah, no, that's I completely yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that's a great point. And, you know, I really I wanna circle back because, you know, um while we're we're talking about this, I wanna go back to Janelle's point about Um, Also caring about the people that are the workers right behind the brands that are creating these amazing products, because this is for me personally is, you know, as a scientist, it's a very, um, something very close to my heart, you know, I'm, I'm involved in the field of toxicology. And I, I've studied things like, you know, people who work in factories, and they work in, you know, these environments that are being using materials that, you know, we would probably not consider so clean you know, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. but th- what what's happening is that after prolonged exposure, people are, you know, really being damaged and they're being hurt and, um, you know, keeping that in mind as well, while, we're sustaining this, this idea of, Hey, we're clean. We're good for you. You know, we're good for the environment. Like that aspect never gets talked about. So I want to actually see what you guys think about that in terms of like the employees and what, you know, what really goes behind each of your brands when it comes to formulations and who works on them, like in terms of formulating.
3: I'm happy to go ahead and hop on that one. Um, For us at Pipette, uh, one of the things we're really proud about is we actually do all of our formulas in-house So we have an amazing team um, and moms on the team. So they're very passionate about the products that we go ahead and put out as they're using them not only on themselves but their little ones. And so for them, it's really going ahead and making sure that we are kind of abiding by the EWG standard. So using to that point that you touched on there, Edka, is those non-toxic ingredients. So it's thinking of it really, this is going to be going on a baby. This is something that needs to be safe. And so with that is in our lab spaces is using only the necessary ingredients and ingredients that are not only safe, but that clean and sustainable element really is the holistic approach we try to take with that.
1: I love that. I really love that. And Janelle, I want you to really comment on this because you're the one who brought it up. So I would love to hear your take Mm -hmm. on this as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think a lot of it, you know, to Taylor's point, is is very similar for Olika as well. It's really about how we're processing ingredients, Um, again, not just for the safety of consumers, but for the safety of workers. Um, The way we process our water is a perfect example. Um, We use a reverse osmosis system. um, And by doing that, we're producing less hazardous wastewater because we're not requiring all of the chemicals um, that needs to go into the water in our to process it. And you think about that, those chemicals are, yeah, they're really bad for our products, but they're also really bad for the people who are working with the products. So we hold ourselves to a really high standard in our manufacturing and in our supply chain because um, there can be really unintended consequences of using some of these hazardous chemicals, to your point, with the workers. And that's just one example of, of the things we do. Of course, we're we're looking at that all the way from farming all the way to like it landing, you know, at the consumer's doorstep. But we take Take extra special attention to make sure every step of the way we're making choices that are beneficial for everybody.
1: Yeah, and especially in this like, you know, COVID or I guess post-COVID now environment, I don't think we're post anything yet, but, you know, in <laughs> in this environment, especially that's very, very much a, you know, a, a hallmark point that you've made here is that really caring about every step because, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, these materials that we're discussing, even if it's something like cardboard, you know, one mm-hmm. thing I do know for a fact from the literature out there, the publications is that everything eventually goes into nanoparticle form okay and so we have to as consumers be mindful of that and so when we're shopping and, and and looking for brands that are truly clean it's important to have founders who can make you know um claims and 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 talk about it like what janelle what you just explained because this is something that shows that you've really thought this out you know, you've really considered all of these aspects, uh, Kimberly. I'd love for you to um, chime in on this if you have any uh, thoughts. Yeah, and, yeah. I have. I
0: have an and there's an interesting ad for Terrasana. So similar to Pipette, Terrasana owns its own ingredient um, stack. So we know where those things are coming from. It's the scientists are our scientists. The ingredients are coming from our teams. Um, but what I found was really interesting. Is so we use fermented sugar cane. Um, as the source of um, the primary ingredient. And they actually moved the fermentation facility um, onto the same land that the sugarcane is growing. So we're not loading sugarcane, trucking it to a different location and then making the magic happen. Like it's all happening right there. And even that small move, which seems small, has a big impact, right? Because think about all of, all of the stuff we're not doing.
1: We're not yeah. supporting you're preserving um, an ecosystem like a business ecosystem we yeah. really
0: are there was this there was this article in ProPublica about like how ugly um, sugar cane manufacturing is at large and when I saw that I was just like it hit my heart in such a hard way and it was specifically talking about Florida um, and so when I first was joining the team I was asking all of these questions <laughs> you know that my whole advocate for others who may not know they need an advocate because I had never heard this before. Um, And I was really impressed with how they really flattened the system and looked for any place to optimize um, the footprint that was being made um, through the manufacturing and then owning and optimizing every step. And that is a really, it's a different kind of ownership and accountability from a a company level than I'd ever seen before. Yeah. I'd like to see more people doing that.
1: Oh, yeah, me too. And I think that that's such a such a brilliant um, concept is to preserve, you know, if you're going to be, you know, I I talked to a lot of brands on skincare anarchy that are, you know, for example, they're harvesting herbs from a specific region of the planet or or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if you really keep it, if you if you really want that ingredient, I think what you said is absolutely genius that you have to really consider what's going to happen when you remove that specific plant or you know whatever it is natural resource and put it somewhere else and then process it somewhere else how is that going to interact with the you know the ecosystem that we don't even see you know in the air um the trees you know like how is it going yeah so I I really really like that point um my next my next thing I really really want to talk to you guys about is this idea of you know, for me as a consumer, when I look at the clean beauty industry, I often think that it's a bunch of people that, you know, there's a lot of really great brands like yours. And then there's a lot of brands who are really, um, they're, I think, learning, you know, they're learning and they're trying to explore this idea and they're trying their best to do this right. But I feel as a consumer and just somebody that's, you know, third party looking in and correct me if I'm wrong, that the information is not available as to how to do this in the most um thorough manner right how to create the most thorough clean beauty brand and so I'd love for you guys to chime in on what you think are some of the resources that brands should utilize when they're doing their homework when they're looking into you know the best practices and and maybe from your own experiences you know uh what you've encountered yeah, I, I think Janelle, that. I
0: think Janelle should definitely weigh on this one. She's got good stories. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: um, absolutely. So I will be fully transparent. You know, we're learning as well. We've had a lot of difficult conversations um, across our business for the past year and a half. The truth is, we let science lead the way, and there's different perspectives on like science. Um, there are some great resources, like I absolutely love um, the EWG that Taylor mentioned um, before. I think there's also partners like making sure things are leaping bunny certified, um, safely made. So there's a lot of different kind of certifications that you can look to. You have to really understand, though, like what they require in their certification. So it's not necessarily going to be um, a one size fits all approach. Um, and, you know, it, it's a process, you know, there's things that I've learned over the past year, that something as simple as aloe vera may or may not be safe for you. Um, and that's really because there's an ingredient that exists in aloe vera before it's decolorized. So in it's natural, pure state and form, um, there can be an ing- That's kind of known to be a carcinogen. Um, And so the processing Mm. is actually beneficial. Um, So sometimes when we talk about natural, organic, we're like, that's the best thing you can do. Actually, sometimes a little bit of the processing is better for you um, because you can get that ingredient to a different form. You can change that molecule a little bit so it's safer for your skin. We have a partnership with a company called Siverilins in order to vet all of our ingredients. So they're board certified toxicologists and they look at all of our ingredients before we even choose them and select them as we're creating formulas. They scan them against 16 different human and environmental endpoints um, to make sure they're safe for Humans and safe for the planet as well. Um, they've been an incredible partner for us, and just making sure as we're building our formulas, um, we're making um, the right choices um, for for our consumers. So there's a lot of different resources like that. You, you know, you can look online. Um, Severa has a great blog that you can follow and get like a little bit deeper um, on toxicology. But
1: um, that's been been our approach, and it's been a journey, and we're still we're still learning. We're not all the way there, but we'll continue striving. <laughs> Janelle, you can't see me, but honestly, like every part of my being is like cheering right now, (laughs) you know, the, the toxicologist in me is like, yes, yes, that's exactly what, oh my gosh, you know, you really, really hit the nail on the head there. That is what we need. I mean, toxicology, you know, just for a second to talk about it. That's like that's the stuff we really need to be worried about because they, they're mm-hmm. the ones these these board certified toxicologists are your pros in telling you if the product that you want to utilize in your in your beauty brand or your your whatever product you're making what it's going to look like once it starts degrading mm-hmm. and that's where the real problem is mm-hmm. that that you know later on area that's yeah. what we need to like handle before we start making anything yeah. so I love. Everything you said, and I would love for uh, Taylor, if you want to, um, you know, chime in on this one.
3: Oh, absolutely. I think Janelle definitely has the nail on the head there in so many different ways. If somebody is looking to start a clean brand, another uh, area that I would recommend is really looking at what you plan to do for like retail expansion. Where do you plan on seeing yourself going? Because a lot of retailers like such as Credo have very specific regulations that you need to go ahead and meet. So if you do need those specific clinical results, or if they do need to pass a specific toxicology test, it's, being upfront and being prepared for that. So you are formulating to those higher standards versus finding out later that, Hey, I went off of maybe a standard that I shouldn't have that we kind of talked about earlier, a little bit, as far as how clean right now is a little bit of self-regulating. So looking to those retailers that you plan to try to get into and making sure that you're abiding by those at the very least.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, it's like, you know, I just want to say, um, you know, and Kimberly, I really want you to to comment on this. And I and before you do, I want to say that, like, I think one of the biggest uh, white spaces that I've noticed in this er- this whole conversation, in general, is that people don't, um, they don't know where to turn in terms of like, making sure that even though you're calling yourself a clean beauty brand, There's a lot of um, scientific testing that's going to have to go into your products regardless. You know, clean beauty, again, and I'm going to eventually transition this into like some other you know buzzwords that we love using in this industry but like you know clean beauty doesn't mean that you don't need clinical trials or you don't need toxicologists on your team or that you don't need you know these experts it it, that definitely needs to be cleared up I think for a lot of like smaller brands that don't understand this the way that you guys are explaining it but um yeah that's my little rant but yeah Kimberly I really Mm -hmm. want you to chime in on this uh this topic so
0: there's a few things so if you're on that journey of you want to launch a brand and you're figuring out how to go clean, get clean, be clean, right? Um, you've got the Syvera side, right? Which is all of your inputs. And then there's this other way that you can actually maybe do a little bit of reality check or something to keep you honest. And so on the e fog you can um, plug in something called uh, Clean For Me and it will scan through your ingredient list and it will allow the consumer to click on the different ingredients and then it gives them a definition of what that is Mm. and so you can create like education and transparency and even throw in a little advocacy right there without too much trouble like you don't have to build the dictionary it's coming from um It's coming from the service, but also I think as you're going along and you're making trade-offs, if you know at the end that that's all going to be hyper-transparent to the end user, it's kind of a
1: little way to keep you honest. Yeah, and I love that. You know how sometimes you can lose
0: your way? You can lose your way. (laughs) You can lose your way.
1: It's easy to lose your way, you know. There's a lot of information, and, and I think that especially with this whole idea of, you know, you know how they say there's the UK standards for clean, and then there's the US mm-hmm. standards, and there's these long lists of things, and it's like, you know what? Why don't you just put everything in one freaking place? And that's, you know, let's let's really think about it from a yeah. an overall thing, you know, standpoint of okay, if I'm a if I'm a new entrepreneur, I want to make the best possible product out there that I can make and follow all these guidelines, I should have one resource I can go to. And I think that's a that's something that we really need to like push in this in this industry. If we're gonna make clean beauty, which it is a huge category of beauty, and it's a huge, you know, like there's a lot of mar- you know market potential there. There's a lot of money being fueled into this area. Um, we need to at least, I think, invest in those kind of databases and those resources that you're you're referring to, Kimberly. It just it seems
0: to me that like the moral imperative is that we clean should be the baseline it should be the default like it shouldn't be that like clean media is this rogue outlier that the rest of the world is quickly adopting it it should be the
1: default yeah yeah Yeah. And I think, I think, I think people are trying to make it that, but it's just, you know, that's why we're holding this panel because there's, (laughs) I mean, you know, even with something, uh, you know, uh, good intentions, you know, that's great to have, but you have to really still have a model in place and some sort of a mental idea, you know, and protocol that you should go through. So um, I want to actually, I want to actually transition this a little bit. And I want to talk about some other terms that fall into this category of clean beauty. And, um, you know, I see a lot of brands doing this and it really upsets me to be honest with you guys is this idea of greenwashing. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that it's a huge topic. I know that a lot of magazines publications have been talking about it, but I really want to get your viewpoints on this because, you know, there's a lot of brands that are really monetizing off of, the hard work of brands such as yours that are really going and doing a deep dive and really defining what clean should be. So I want to get you know just what you guys think about the whole greenwashing thing and maybe uh, again, Janelle, maybe you can start us <laughs> off. I always call in Janelle, but that's okay. <laughs> really the stage for the conversation. <laughs> I feel
3: like. <laughs> She's got a wealth of knowledge too, so she's perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Um, no, you know, I, I find it deeply troubling. I'm I'm right there with you, um, and I think i have really mentioned it too. I we just have a moral obligation um, to do better and to do more. Um, unfortunately because there is no regulation and no industry standard, which I think we absolutely need some like policy um, advocates as well to to kind of change our standards. The best that consumers can do to avoid greenwashing or get around greenwashing is do just a little bit of research. I think one of the things I find with these brands that do the green or the clean washing um, is that there's no there there. Um, If you go to their website, all of the things that we're talking about, a lot of actually incredible brands um, doing great work in this space. And they tell you what they're doing. They show you what they're doing. They're very transparent about what they're doing. Um, and that's why transparency was one of my keywords earlier, because it is the best way to get around it. No brand is perfect today. Um, so be cautious of any brand that is claiming perfection. Um, but there are a lot of brands that are telling you, this is where we stand from a toxicology perspective. This is our uh, manufacturing process. This is how we choose and make our formulas, like listen to those brands. If they're telling you this information, it's because they have it and they're not just putting meaningless claims on their package. So, it's a little bit more work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Taylor mentioned this too earlier. Um, but I will say the retailers, are am really excited um, for the standards that the Sephora's, the Target's, Walmart's um, are starting to have. And they're putting labeling on their shelves. And there you have really strict requirements on how you get onto that shelf. Um, and yeah. so, there's just a little bit more trust there um, that you can have if your brand is um, showing up in these spaces in the retailer. But again, you know, the work, the onus is still on the consumer right now. I'm hoping one day we can change that um, and and put all of the responsibility on us so that it's just one less stress for them and they can, you know, enjoy themselves um, shopping all these great
1: brands absolutely see every time she speaks I just like literally like my brain (laughs) just celebrates like I honestly and Kimberly I I heard you like um almost chiming in so I want you to I want you to add on to that whatever you were oh no
0: I just she's she's 100% right I think you can as a can the onus is on the consumer right now which is unfair but at the same time as a brand, there is nothing I like better than when I get that email asking a question that I hadn't thought to answer first, right? That isn't in the FAQ and I I want those questions. Um, it helps us be better. Um, as a consumer myself, I've gotten really good at asking the questions. So when I turn and learn, right? I flip over that bottle and I'm looking at that ingredient list and I see it just says fragrance. I will send an email in. And the funny part is that a lot of times the customer service teams who initially get that, they don't have the answer, but they have to go searching for the answer. So you got to find your patients. But by as consumers, by us asking those questions, as consumers for us paying attention to those ingredient labels and pushing on claims, just because the name of the product is something natural, that's mean it's natural. And that turn and learn, right? Turn and learn and you'll know right away it's not natural because you can't pronounce anything in it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also, um, redefining what you mean by natural too, right? I mean, that's a whole different rabbit hole to go down because natural. Yeah, there's a lot of compounds, especially when it comes to organic chemistry. I I don't know why no one (laughs) ever wants to talk about organic chemistry, probably because it's a nightmare to take it. I remember, you know, flashback. I'm I'm guessing yeah, college PTSD. (laughs) Oh my gosh, don't even get me started. But I I did surprisingly, you know, pretty well for that. You know, I give myself credit, but I will say, you know, organic chemists, I think do not get enough credit and the, the whole area doesn't because the words have such meaning in them because it's one of the only disciplines i believe of science that names things for exactly what they look like on a molecular level so if you have a benzene compound that means the benzene word's gonna be in the word you know what i mean so it's like the the really organic chemistry is something i think the consumer needs to like embrace because it's gonna make you better understand the structure of the ingredients that we're talking about and what the difference between something that's synthesized in the lab versus what you mentioned, uh Kimberly, natural, naturally occurring, because there is a difference. You know, right now, I think um, the most recent Nobel Prize uh in chemistry was was given to two amazing scientists who were able to finally, you know, separate Uh, you know Mm -hmm. because everything exists in like mirror forms like molecules exist in equal quantities in mirror forms on on a chemistry level and they were able to find a way to like separate that and I you know just random tangent but what I'm saying is that it is important to understand the chemistry it is important to understand how scientists come up with the names of what we do consider as still natural and you know so to not be afraid of that, right? If you see a long organic chemistry word and to not immediately think, oh, this is not natural. Yes, it is. You just need to understand what it means, you know? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I um, think as a brand, as a brand, you have, you have to assume, like you cannot assume that your consumer is dumb, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or that they're disinterested or dispassionate and find a way to bridge that gap of like, what does that ingredient mean? Um, and as a consumer, you have to hold those brands accountable for giving them your wallet um, and giving them your love and say, like, what is in here? How is this made? Where is it sourced? Um, I've gotten some really incredibly detailed questions down to the, you know, what is the GMO level of XYZ ingredient? Like, <laughs> just,
1: yeah.
0: and I, I love it. I love it when that comes in because it means there's one more consumer who's out there really holding brands accountable.
1: Absolutely. hundred percent. I completely agree with you. And actually, you know, um, Taylor, I need you to really chime in here because (laughs) let's be honest, you know, with a baby care line, you really can't greenwash because guess what? Babies and infant skin is the most sensitive you're going to get. And so I really want you to comment on this greenwashing, you know, thing and and tell me what you think about it and, you know, uh, your whole perspective.
3: Absolutely. Um, I think it's greenwashing a little bit of green marketing that's taking place is what we see a lot across the board. And I think Kimberly did a really good job of touching on it from like the first standpoint of like what the consumer sees is like the name a lot. You'll see brands where they will try to put a spin on a term that the consumer is has always seen as something that's clean, green, eco-friendly and they're automatically assuming, just based off of looking whether it's the product name, the brand name, that it's clean. And I think one easy way to just go ahead and on the consumer side do a quick fact check is looking at the certifications on that specific, you know, with that brand, with that specific product. Are they EWG verified? Is it vegan and cruelty free certified? everything down to that level, like doing a quick scan. There's plenty of apps out there now at this point. Um, I think one of them being like think dirty, even where scanning that label on the back of a product when you're in store shopping to get an understanding of the full breakdown of everything that's within there and getting that scorecard to see is what's in here safe for me, for my baby, really just because with baby skin being so sensitive it's new it's new to the world they you know their body goes ahead and loses water more quickly than an adult so it's also going to be very similar with the ingredients that are being put on their skin um as far as the way it's going to affect them so really getting an understanding of what's that difference between natural what's that difference between clean And being able to make a purchase based off of the knowledge that you can easily go ahead and grab from these certifications. I think certifications are very important. It allows the consumer to go ahead and know that there's a third party that's looked in this. And it's not just up to the brand to go ahead and do their own validation, knowing that, as we already touched on here, clean for a lot of people, knowing that there's no one specific regulatory, like, across the board is those certifications help go ahead and clear up I think a little bit of the thoughts that are going through mom's head is is this safe what can I go ahead and use which is the best product to go ahead and grab
1: yeah no absolutely and you know I think one thing I really wanted to actually um I was very excited um for for you to be in this panel because I really think that pipette should come out with a list of the ingredients because like literally i know from like just m- my pediatric you know rotations and and just working with pediatric patients is like you know you cannot bs what reacts with a little baby's skin you can't you, you know you can't fake it you can't pretend that it's you know what it is so I it would be really cool to have this like you know almost like pediatrician verified you know and like you know obviously like a, a list of things for people who have for example really sensitive skin and I think that's really important from a science perspective because everybody right now is talking about the microbiome and um, one thing I really wanted to talk to you specifically about Taylor was the microbiome because babies are really what we need to be studying when it comes to microbiome, the skin's microbiome development. That's where it all begins. You know what I mean?
3: Absolutely. I'm glad you touched on even the pediatrician tested and dermatologist tested, because that's something that we look at when going ahead and producing any new products, any products we have on the market is making sure that it's got both those validations there along with the clinical testing. That's huge. Um, But getting onto the topic of the microbiome um, and kind of also touching point on what Kimberly brought up earlier about squalane is really getting an understanding of baby skin from the birthing process all the way up to that one-year-old mark. And when babies are born, they're born with this white coating on their body, which is known as the vernix, And it's really the introductory of like baby's first natural moisturizer. It's what's protecting their skin and this white coating historically for like many years, was being wiped off baby's skin right after birth. Baby was being handed over to mom and they were wiping that down. And over time, we've learned that this really does act as a barrier, a protective barrier for the skin. And so now it's being encouraged to go ahead and rub it in. And the way it's able to act as a protective barrier for their skin is the most abundant lipid within the vernix is squalene. And squalene essentially goes ahead and it is a molecule that's within that goes ahead and acts as like a super moisturizer. It protects the skin. It keeps it supple. Um, and babies have an abundance of it. And as you get older, it slowly starts to deplete. So when formulating our products, we really wanted to keep that in mind and make sure the ingredients we were putting into our products is something that baby skin would, baby skin would readily recognize. So formulated our products with swaline that is derived from sugarcane um, was a big thing for us.
1: Mm. That's very interesting and it's interesting that you were able to derive it. See again plants, like you know they just everything's there in nature. You just have to you have to look but you know one thing I just wanted to add and I think it's so interesting that you discussed the science of, uh, of that coating because When, again, going back to the microbiome, I think, you know, I saw a post the other day, you guys, and it really, the scientist in me just was like so irritated that I ended up messaging the executive editor of that publication being like, listen, you know, (laughs) this is just not right and it's not your fault, but, you know, all that. But anyway, my point is, the microbiome develops. It's not something that just automatically exists. And so everything Taylor said about that, that squalene and those lipids that are there, they're feeding the few bacteria. So when you, a baby is birthed through the vaginal canal, the, the flora that's in the mom's vaginal canal is the first Quote unquote microbiome that the baby's skin is exposed to, so that is the starting place. And then using this, you know, this coating that's on the baby, that's almost like a nutrient source for these bacteria, so that they can populate in a, you know, what I mean, in a in a better way and really form the microbiome of the skin. So understanding just that, even you know, as a general consumer, it's gonna really make you rethink when you invest in products that are claiming to be, hey, we're microbiome uh, baseline. Mm -hmm well, what do you mean? You know what I mean? Like, I, I really get very confused. So I, I think that that's such a brilliant uh, point that you brought up. And I'd love uh, Janelle and, and Kimberly, if you guys want to comment about anything about the microbiome that you find to be interesting or, um, you know, anything.
2: Yeah, well, um, it's a topic we talk about a lot um, on our brand, the microbiome. Um, and really for us, Um, How do we protect your hand microbiome? Because we know your skin is like one of the biggest microbiome um, ecosystems that you have. Um, and we look at a lot about, we know that um, when your skin is dry and cracked and compromised, um, that cracked skin actually feeds more of the, the bad bacteria and gives them just more space to operate and you lose more of the good. We're very intentional with our products and our formulas. Um, that's why you find aloe and glycerin um, in our formula. Um, and we're super excited that we'll soon be um, adding hyaluronic acid to our hand sanitizers in Q1 next year. Um, okay. With Yeah. (laughs) Um, With with the idea that we know most, you know, um, hand sanitizers do dry out your skin. So it's like you're killing bacteria, but you're also creating an environment where more bacteria um, on your hands and skins can, or bad bacteria, I should say, could thrive. And so we want to make sure that we are, um, you know, helping to keep that microbiome in balance. But um, I I can see how this is hard for brands. We've had a lot of conversations about Where does the science go? How are we identifying the good, um, the bad bacteria? How are we then identifying the food sources for the good and um, the right ways to go after the bad that don't compromise your skin health um, and potentially other microbiomes in the future? Um, It's a very exciting topic, but it, it is a very um, important topic because microbiome for us, it's at the center of your health, um, and your vitality and, and your wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really important to, to keep it strong and keep it in balance. So we talk, we talk a lot about it on the Olika brand too.
1: Absolutely. And you know what, I just want to say Olika is like one of, honestly, when it comes to hand sanitizer, I don't think you can get more of an expert at, at, than being a medical uh professional because we're constantly like it's we bathe in it and honestly all you guys have done i just want to say wow you know olika has done such a stunning job of creating a product that is it works first of all you know and second of all it's like promoting the idea that it's okay for your hands to feel good after you use (laughs) hand sanitizer you don't have to have cracked nasty (laughs) scaly hands just because you use hands, you know what I mean? Like that's, I think, and, and again, that feeds into quote clean beauty is like, you know, optimization and you guys have truly optimized hand sanitizer, if you ask me as a consumer. So I, I love that. Uh, um, Kimberly, I would, I, lo- I would love to get your uh, opinion about the microbiome, what your thoughts are.
0: Yeah. So as a, as a clinical clean wellness brand, we in, in our first focus being on skin, right having like and healthy skin on like the best skin obviously the microbiome is a big part of that conversation and in our case it all goes back to the clinicals and to the scientists right so we rely heavily on them even down to like marketing claims where you know we it there is a very tight coupling um with our science teams they're amazing we talk about like you could fall down a rabbit hole of conversation. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate it exactly, but as a brand it is really important, like for us in, for in this launch in particular, that we're really leaning into that science. We're really letting the um, trials, the clinical data tell us what is and what isn't. Um, as opposed to making it up as we go along, which maybe is what you're referring to with some of the random graphics you will see on the interwebs.
1: Yes, yes, and you know that staying true to that science is something that I think, you know, you've brought this up multiple times in this conversation, Kimberly, and I am so thankful that you've done that because this is something I think everyone listening, whether you're a consumer, entrepreneur, Uh, enthusiast, I don't know, geek, uh, you know, you need to understand that science cannot be substituted, you know, clean beauty and green beauty and sustainability, all of these words do not exclude science and it's exactly what Kimberly said like you have to like, uh, you have to have a science forward approach to make sure that you're doing it right and that you're really putting the right stuff out there. And, you know, again, Kim, going back to your, you had mentioned education for the consumer, you know what I mean? Uh, Very early in the conversation. And that's, it all ties in, you know, if you're as a brand, I think if you do it right. And like you said, you consult the scientists and stuff, the education aspect comes naturally, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easier. It does. I mean, I think if you think about even, marketing can use that
0: information right because every brand and marketing team has a conversation about the content calendar and about what are we going to talk about and how are you going to get people interested and there's so much rich stuff to work with there that um serves both masters right of getting the brand out there but also educating and empowering the consumer and so there's just a lot of untapped potential in the science
1: yeah absolutely from
0: one one nerd from one nerd to another
1: oh (laughs) yes those are the best conversations by the way we're all fellow (laughs) nerds i love it Um, you know, one one question I do have for all of you, though, I, I'm not going to lie, you know, I always wonder, you know, what are some of the barriers that you guys face when it comes to really translating in a, you know, I guess, layman terms, and really educating your consumers on that science and on these best practices that you're, you know, that we've all discussed here, you know, like, what, what are some of those uh, hurdles that as a brand you go through, when it comes to that, getting that knowledge out there. And Taylor, maybe you can get us started. 'Cause this time I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put Chanel on the spot. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Absolutely. I think you definitely hit the nail on the head there as far as trying to put something in layman's terms because I think even um, Kimberly was really touching on it right here is knowing that science and you know sometimes the product development team they have an abundance of knowledge and I think because they have that abundance of knowledge sometimes there's that thought that the consumer has this abundance of knowledge. And so really as the marketing team, it's our responsibility to go ahead and have those sit down like roundtable conversations with them where we're able to learn health of knowledge from them and it's like you know rapid spitfire for questions finding out this. And from there sitting down and trying to digest, how do we tell this story to like mom? How do we tell this story to somebody that's looking to make cleaner choices? So really going ahead and determining what those key pieces, those nuggets are and putting it in a digestible version. So like with social media, we see a lot more people turning to social media using infographics whenever possible to make something a lot more digestible. And I think really being a brand that is consumer focused and willing to engage with the consumer. So again as like Kimberly and Janelle touched on when the consumer is reaching out with questions is having that information to go ahead and have that dialogue with them to really give them all the information they need, but also having a really strong e-commerce platform where people have enough information if they have the time to go ahead and do the digging. And it's in a digestible manner that it's not like she's sitting there going ahead and having to do a Google search and it's like, what does this mean? But it's something here, it's like, I have a good understanding. I have the information I need to go ahead and make a purchase, let alone do more. If she does want to do more research, she has enough that's right here to make that purchase, but she also has enough to go ahead and know where to start if she wants to research. Cause I hear that a lot from people, um, from attending some of these mom shows where it's like, I don't even know where to start is what happens. So being mm-hmm. that resource, being that advocate for them.
1: I love that. And Janelle, I want you to, I want you to add to that and, um, share your view and any hurdles that you've seen. Especially with, you know, a company that's so based in this idea of, you know, hygiene and and especially with, you know, COVID and the way it's been and the culture around that. So I'd love for you to comment.
2: Right. Um, and I'll start off saying I, I 100% agree with everything Taylor said. I, I think how do you distill this down to consumers um, in a digestible, crispy, engaging way? We know everybody has an attention span that's like six seconds. Um, so how do you like get these core messages out there is really hard. Um, but I touched on this earlier. I think equally as hard is how do we educate ourselves? Um, I go back to the process that we had with Cybera Lens, um, and part of it is um, putting in your own requirements and lists, right? So we created our own do not use list, but we were like, where do we go? We have 16 states, we have the European standards, um, we have retail standards, so we probably have 65 lists in there that we're screening um, our ingredients against, um, which sounds very thorough, um, but it's also very confusing. Like, do we need 66? Are we missing like a couple that we should have in there? Um, and then there's varying opinions on what is safe when we were looking at formulating some of our our products, you know, sometimes there's byproducts of working with natural ingredients that creates harmful ingredients. And so we were looking at them Um, And sometimes those byproducts can be in like the parts per million. And so we're putting standards around that. Is it 100 parts per million? Is it 50? Is it more? Like what really defines what is safe and dangerous? Is it like risk? Is it exposure? Is it an equation of risk versus exposure? Um, It's a lot. And I'm not a chemist. I'm not a toxicologist. I'm not a scientist. Um, And so wading through all of that information to make the absolute best decision that you can, because I believe in, I believe in humanity. I believe there's a lot of good actors out there and they're trying to do the best that they can, but it is a lot to wade through and figure out how do you do that? Um, And I think that's actually one of the biggest
1: hurdles that's facing us um, in the industry. Yeah, that's and I love I love everything that you said. And I think that is brilliant that you brought up uh, the term parts per million, (laughs) because, you know, I'm so happy as like, you know, just a science geek to see that we're starting to have these terms come out in the marketing world of beauty and like people, you know, are acknowledging things like, you know, uh, Dalton's and kill Dalton's and like what is able to cross the skin barrier and those kind of words I mean you used to hear that stuff in like general physics courses and stuff you know what I mean it was I never think- in the it never in the public I, so I, I think you've made such a great point there is that you know really um I think sometimes you just have to throw words at people and be like if I do this often enough you're eventually gonna understand what I mean <laughs> so I, I really like that you brought that up um, and, you know and I, Kimberly I, I, of course I would love for you to comment you've been the, I think the most science um, forward person in this whole panel so far and I, uh, I I love every time you comment on the science well I'm
0: I'm gonna come at it and I'm um, So I'm going to come at it with a slightly different angle about the challenge. And this is about like how you bring that education to the consumer to meet them where they are. So each product has a different focus. It has a different primary customer. And those customers want those messages in very different ways. You may have one segment that is looking for more of an uplifting message, right? By joining us, by doing X, you are you know, helping put this positive thing into the world. You have others that are more of a prevention mindset, this versus this, Um, you're preventing future harm, you're preventing future decay of the earth, whatever that is. And then you have others that are more like, um, let's say like value system oriented. So it's really important as you're looking at this and getting your audiences excited to understand where they are and how they want to receive that message that they don't tune you out because it is one thing to know yeah. that we're going to go out and advocate for them when they don't even know they need an advocate. Um, <laughs> and it's another to be completely ignored. Your good intentions, all that love and sweat.
1: I <laughs> know into it. the heartache. Yeah. yeah so it really,
0: it really means that from a consumer research perspective, you have to get out there and talk to them. You have to see where they are and you, you just need to meet them where they are. You can't be preachy. Sometimes you have to be a cheerleader.
1: Well, it goes back to also what Taylor said, right? It's about like showing that people like you got to be, and, and also what uh, Janelle's been saying this whole time, transparency, transparency, transparency. You have to show people. And I think, you know, this is something I really wanted to make sure we talked about. I know we had discussed this before the panel took place. And um, it's something that I think is a great way to really incorporate all of those layers, um, Kimberly, that you just brought up about, um, you know, education. And, and, and that's the idea of, Using products and investing in products that you're going to use fully, not use once, twice, three times, maybe leave it on your shelf, let it sit there, and create all sorts of you know molecular, you know uh, byproducts and degraded you know metabolites and stuff. So so that's that that's a question and that's a topic I want all three of you to really chime in on because you know what in your opinion can we do or what makes you know consumers want to come back and not just come back but like you know really use the products they invest in so i we can get started with uh with taylor if you want
3: absolutely i think um as a pipette one of the big things is is we definitely don't want products to shit sitting on shelf and not moving so whether that's inside the consumer shelf um so in your medicine cabinet in the bathroom on baby's changing table or actual shelf as far as the retailer and it's not moving and it's not connecting for the consumer to go ahead and make that purchase so a big thing for us was going ahead and making sure that it was creating those essential items Those items that we know people are going to go ahead and it's an everyday use item and also items that have multi-purpose use to them. So multi-purpose use for baby, mom, you know, the whole entire family and products that can be used for baby, mom and the whole entire family. So it's not just for one specific person, but something that could go ahead and be used across the entire family. So. One product we have in particular that's really been phenomenal at that is our baby bomb. And while it does have the name baby in the title It's definitely one of those things that we hear everybody going ahead and using this is perfect for going ahead and helping out with my child's chapped lips, chapped nose, any area that's needing a little extra moisture. Now, from people that are going ahead that are older, that are using it, you know, this is a really great foot mask. This is great for going ahead and adding as like a top layer to my face when I need a little extra moisture um, to apply on top of my moisturizer when I go to sleep at night. So it's something that we know everybody's able to use. It's not something that's just going to sit there and, oh, I don't have enough of it to go ahead and use for my baby. It's something that's going to be used for the entire family. And we know it's not going to go to waste to the point you brought up.
1: I love that. And, you know, I just want to, I I really love what you said and, you know, I'm not going to lie. I grew up watching my mom do this and it was like, I never understood because I was you know, stupid and a child, and didn't get it, but like now I get it. She always used to use uh baby lotion, like the baby um you know just moisturizer, and she only used that and she used it for her hands and her feet, and she swore by it she didn't go invest in these big you know what I mean adult companies. She was all about the baby products, and I was like, why the heck is my mom buying?" baby products, you know, for her self-care. So, and it makes sense because it's again, you know, and also I think what you said, Taylor, I think that also would help so much for the entrepreneurs and the consumers because it adds simplicity. You Mm -hmm. know, it adds this idea of simplicity to the conversation.
3: Absolutely. It's one of those things too, where just being budget conscious, not everybody has the money to go ahead and buy a huge assortment. So having a very niche treatment product is not always within everybody's budget. So keeping that in mind and understanding how can we go ahead and try to make the most of one product, not only from thinking from when this product's used in the life cycle of it and when it ends up in the trash or potentially going to recycle, but really when it's in somebody's home, don't have an abundance of products. It's sitting there by the time, you know, it's opened, it ends up it becomes expired because they haven't been able to move through it quickly enough. So to that point, similar to your mother, we've gotten plenty of reviews where people are reviewing many of our baby products. We're like, I don't have children, but this product is phenomenal. I've been using this (laughs) in my daily routine. And it makes us really happy to hear that there are people out there that are taking the products that we have and using these hacks to go ahead and use like baby oil in a bath or shower to help moisturize skin even more and just give it that little extra suppleness So it's really extending the life of those products. So they're not just ending up in a landfill.
1: I love that. I really love that. And, you know, I want to I want to actually uh, shift to Olica and, you know, Janelle and Kimberly, because let me tell you one thing that really impressed me off the bat about Olika's packaging was it tells you exactly the amount of like uh, uses that are contained in every single bottle of hand sanitizer. And I thought when I saw that, I mean, as little of a detail as that might seem to some people, that's huge. Because it tells you exactly what to expect. So I really want to talk to you guys about that and like what really led to you guys putting that right up there, you know, front and center, and also what you think about this entire topic that we've been discussing. Yeah. So Janelle, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yeah, absolutely. Well, we were really choiceful about that. And it just really goes back to our Um, Carbon footprint impact. You know um, the decisions we make. um, Yes, we're refillable, but we also think about um, our SKU complexity. Um, We don't want to have like too many SKUs. That's why we don't have thirty different fragrances um, right now on our website. That was definitely a choice because that becomes excessive, and in that excessiveness, you're creating waste um, with a lot of products and a lot of SKUs that aren't selling as much. Um, but when you look at the size of our product, um, there's questions we get all the time about it's not as big, you know, as the other products that are on the shelf, and that was very choiceful, um, because even though it is a forever bottle, we're still offering you a great value with a lot of uses, and in a lot of cases it's 15 times more of the uses um, that you have in those bigger bottles, so you know, we, we think about that a lot at Aureka. Um, How do we offer that value and the experience? Because that's really what's going to bring consumers um, back to our brand. You you hit the nail on the head earlier um, with, you know, you don't have to have this trade-off, of sanitizing your hands and having, you know, dry, cracked skin. Um, you don't also don't have to have the trade-off of buying like huge packages, um, you know, and there's other ways that that we look at those trade-offs for sure, but, but that's what's core to, us is just creating these really great holistic experiences um, that are clean and sustainable and, and bring consumers back to our brand.
1: And I just, I love that. And I just want to add that I really think this is important to understand. And again, this is like kind of like a science statistical way of looking at it, but um, Olika's hand sanitizers also come with a nice, wonderful clip attached to them and you can put that like I have on my keychain and you end up using it's like the amount of uses over time. So you have to consider that curve. Okay. So when you're comparing how much you use, you know, Olka's hand sanitizer versus the one that comes in the bottle and you can't really put it anywhere. And you know, that's something you have to consider because how many times are you using it? And how accessible is it to you? you know? So that's a huge, huge factor. So yeah, I just wanted to add that in there. Um, but yeah, uh, Kimberly, if you want to, could you add to that? Um, I can. That you're, yeah.
0: I can. So this time I'm going to come at you and I'm going to say science. So when you have,
1: <laughs> when you have
0: like a, a nice, let's call it a simple set of ingredients and by simple, time it's not, not overly complex and you're leaning on science that you can figure out um, through clinicals and testing what other uses your ingredients have, right? At different concentrations, at different mixes, um, maybe slightly differences in formulation, right? Say a cream versus an oil, but there's probably a lot more that can be done. Um, we're, we've launched the first product on the roadmap of many products that's coming out of that mentality of um, that if you lean on the science side, you know we're focused on one kind of um, like skin um, solution at the moment. I guess that's what we're looking for, and there's more coming. Um, and it's all based on just investing in the science to figure out what else does that apply to. It's a similar mindset to pipette, but different. It, it's a different circumstance.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a that's a really really um, amazing point that you brought up because now is my geek out moment because i'm all about um you know all of the different things that Uh, the ingredients can do I I know I've mentioned this before in my podcast but I I published a paper in 2013 that was literally looking at the extracts of like things like turmeric mint you know Mm -hmm. um, uh, eucalyptus there are a bunch of different ones right and and I looked at their um, effect on you know uh, killing off bacteria some of the harshest bacteria that we deal with so not just skin flora But I also looked at the impact it had on, for example, mycobacterium, which is one of the hardest ones to kill because it causes TB. So being able to do that and being able to say that, you know what, um, I'm going to go and play around and figure out what these ingredients really do. That's a huge aspect, I think, that, um, you know really no one's talking about and i and i really just want to stress the point that like everything kimberly said i completely back up because i genuinely believe in my heart that we're all born as natural scientists we're all inclined to be you know just really curious about things so i urge you out there use olga's hand sanitizer and then put your finger on a petri dish and let the bacteria grow and then compare it and you know what i mean like do little things that prove to you that these things are working you know So yeah, I love that. I love that point. And does anyone have anything else they want to add to anything that we've talked about so far? I'll say the one thing that
3: I absolutely love is seeing how much brands are really emphasizing on the science because that is definitely the reoccurring word that we have been talking about today is really putting a lot of... you know, investment behind the science and going ahead and marketing the science and making it more transparent to the consumer, and as we touched on earlier, trying to make it digestible because I think before there was a little bit of this uh, like faux pas, almost like science was scary. Science should not go ahead like within specifically. I could speak to the pet like don't want to associate that with baby like that's that's not good and seeing this big shift where it's really educating on all the benefits that science is able to do, you know, producing sustainable ingredients, finding alternative, you know, sources uh, for things. It really makes me happy knowing that there is this big shift. I know we're just barely at the tip of that iceberg and there's so much more for us to go ahead and do, but creating not only better for you products, but better for the planet.
1: Absolutely. I love that Taylor. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, this has been the best conversation, you guys, seriously, like I have been just loving everything, all the insight you guys have provided. Thank you so much, Janelle, Kimberly, Taylor, thank you so much for this opportunity to host you and to learn from you. And I hope everyone listening, you've taken away a few I guess, benchmarks or maybe a little bit of a protocol, you know, about how to approach the idea of clean beauty or green beauty or some of these buzzwords that we hear about. Um, and, you know, just leave us some feedback. Tell us what you think. And, you know, we may do a part two if we want. If you guys are, you know, up for it, I'm up for it. So um, yeah, this is, this is definitely a conversation I think that needs to be had. And I, I'm so honored that you guys uh, had this with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. us. This is great. great. Thank you. It was it was honor was truly mine. Um, and everyone listening, please, like I said, um, we're going to be putting this everywhere for skincare anarchy. Um, I'm going to be doing this as obviously the podcast, but we're going to be sending out a newsletter. So if you have not uh, subscribed to our email list, make sure you do that because a lot of it will be quotes and information that um, you know, that we have heard here today and um it'll be a lot of information in there too so make sure you subscribe make sure you also go follow all three of these amazing brands on instagram on all social media i mean you know i'm i'm just so happy to see that there are people like you guys out there that are entrepreneurs and doing things so ethically and morally correct then you know it, it it's really it's nice it's a, it's a br- breath of fresh air is what i'm trying to say <laughs> <laughs> all right guys um so i will be back next time and thank you so much thank you thank you